Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. I'm your host, Todd Burrows. Hope the sound's not too bad. My phone line's been a little crazy lately, and uh, I had an issue with the mic trying to get on that way once, so I've been a little gun-shy. We're going to be doing the third part in a three-part series that were done this year with Elliot Crist. Elliot, um, whatever website he was affiliated with when he was on the first podcast, he wasn't affiliated with on the second, and now he's affiliated with a third. Um, So he is uh, the man moving in the right direction and uh, couldn't think of someone more well-deserving to um, get that honor. So we'll be covering rookies with him, and we'll also be going over some of the preseason takes and, more importantly, how to filter your information during uh, the time period that we're in right now. Uh, players' ADP are going to be rising, uh, some, some full-heartedly and some um, are, are uh, you know, deserved. So uh, we'll go through that with Elliot as well. Before that, though, this podcast is brought to you by Fanball. Fanball, the home of MFL 10s. More states this year, more options, and more fun. Fanball is the home of MFL 10s. Now it's time to welcome in my guest. You can find him on Twitter at Elliot Chris. That's Elliot with one L and C for Chris. Um, on Twitter, Elliot, welcome back to the show. Todd, I really appreciate you having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's uh, we we you know we've handled these rookies. Uh, first, from the perspective of you know what you thought of them, you really gave us a lot of great knowledge before the draft, and then we got back together after the draft and we analyzed the landing spots. And this time, what we're going to do is we're going to take the news that we've heard since the draft and what we've seen in preseason, and we're going to take a look at the rookies. But I, I also wanted to, because the first week of preseason is such a big week for information it for guys like you it's got to be really frustrating uh to you know to see someone jump to conclusions off of such a small sample size would you say that's true when it comes to rookies it's amazing how we we have one play and it's like i told you he was a bust and i or i you know i I knew this guy was going to be amazing but Honestly, it starts before the preseason, right? There can be a one random practice with a gift that comes out and everyone loses their mind. Um, you know, I, I feel horrible for Darius Geis. Uh, that, that ACL injury is, is brutal, and I was really excited to see him play this year. But there were some questions on how good of a receiver he could be, and there was a, a 
five-second clip of him running a flare route against nobody and catching a pass and people saying, I told you he could catch 50 passes this year. And like people are really looking for confirmation bias, uh, positive or negative, whenever there's any kind of action. And um, I, I think personally the, the best way to handle a lot of preseason stuff is to kind of not really make all that much of it actionable. I know we'll get into more of that later, but you know, if, if you're doing best balls right now and everyone's reacting to it and you're not, it's a way for you to have an edge on the competition. Absolutely. And uh, a big part of my article this week is on how I filter preseason information. Um, I'll read a couple of the things that I try to avoid uh, and you can give me your thoughts. So one is Twitter hype off of one play, avoid the hype and the instant risers. Pretty much what you just described there. Second thing, deciding which teams are going to be good or bad off of one preseason game. You know, we see it a lot with players, Elliot, but we also see it with teams, and it's like, well, Kirk Cousins had two touchdowns on two drives. That offense is going to be amazing. Now, maybe maybe it's going to be, but don't get, you know, I mean, I've seen digs going now like early second round in a couple of my best balls. People take those types of moves really seriously. And I'm not saying they're wrong that Cousins won't look for uh, digs more than he does than Keenum, you know, than Keenum did, uh, who seemed to focus on Thielen. But uh, you, you just can't make that move off of one day. So that's my second one on teams. And the third is rookies making big plays against third stringers. So uh, thoughts on those? I think you nailed it, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, when it comes to rookies making plays uh, against third stringers, like you want, you want to see. I think Sigmund Bloom talks about it, and he he does such a great job. Where you want to kind of see that steady drumbeat, right? So, you know, you just you keep seeing positive news in April. You see it in um, June when or July when pa- practice picks up, and then the first game they're looking good, and it's like, okay, this guy might really be a good you know, 15th round pick, like Chris Godwin's a guy, but you also, you know, you need to learn when to let a guy go. A guy is a value at a certain ADP. Um, like John Ross is an example where, you know, he was going to get an opportunity in best ball this year to probably be the wide receiver two or wide receiver three, um, take some shots downfield with his four, two speed. And I was enjoying taking him in the 17th, 18th round. And then, <laughs> and then now he's going in the 12th. And it's like, okay, so now I'm off it. You know what I mean? You have to understand when to, to get on or off something. But the Kirk Cousins and Stephon Diggs thing and all that stuff, it's it's one drive, right? Or it's two drives. Are we going to overreact and when it's week three and someone has two back-to-back drives and then the team doesn't score the rest of the game? Are we going to lose our minds? Are the Jets one of the best teams in football now because uh, both their quarterbacks looked fantastic and they shut out the Atlanta Falcons? Like. I, People love to overreact, and the individual play, you're, you're so right. Like the on Johnson play that's going on loop now, he looks fantastic. But, you know, he was a second-round pick. He should have been going before the eighth round now. Now he's kind of not necessarily a value when people start taking him in the fifth, you know. I think it's all about understanding and ability to adjust and ability not to overadjust, right? David Njoku is another great example where he caught two touchdown passes. He looked really good. But, you know, I'm not – if he was going on the 12th before, you know, that's a value for an athletic upside tight end. He's kind of priced similarly to like an OJ Howard who is going to struggle more for targets, but as a similar, similar like weekly upside as Njoku does. Um, 
I'm not going to all of a sudden draft Njoku in the eighth round because of that. And, you know, when, when so many people overreact to things, if you can kind of sit back and understand that it's, it's just a drive, it's just a couple plays, and you don't freak out over it and everyone else does, I think that's when you start to let value fall to you. Yep, I, <clears throat> that's exactly what I you, – you got the heart of what I was trying to say there. And, um, you know, I did some self-evaluation after my second year of best ball – my first year, I had some bad luck with injuries. Second year, I, I just wasn't good enough. And one of the big takeaways that I, I got was, and I talk about it a lot, is how to filter information, right? You know, like, be, you know, make yourself as open as you possibly can. We're always going to have prejudices as human beings. Um, but I, I'm a lot better at, like, really trying to, you know, do with mental gymnastics what you do with the spreadsheet, which is really lay out all the facts and see what's really there. It's not numbers, but I think there is a correlation there, uh, you know, with that kind of internal math that you do in your head when you figure out all the situations that make up a guy's opportunity, and then you, as you just said, compare it to ADP. Um I think that's, uh, you know, something that's helped me a lot. Do you do uh, that kind of internal I, – I know you do it just from talking to you. I know you do those same kind of calculations, and, it, and, and then you look at your numbers, and if the two meet, then you feel like you really got something, correct? Yeah, that's exactly the way to do it. You know, um, I, I, I think the word value is so key. I mean, I mean the, the whole thing in, in gambling or fantasy is, you know, positive expected value. When you continue to get guys at an ADP that makes sense for a projection, that's good. You want to try to get a guy at kind of a floor median projection ADP. When you start getting to ceiling uh, projections at his at an ADP, then that's that's when you you let someone else take the risk. Um, you know, I, we're we're going to get to a lot of these situations, but yeah, I, I think exactly what you described is the way you need to do it. And when you when you're able to do it, you'll you'll know for a couple reasons. One is your teams are going to look really good. And two, you're going to find yourself kind of taking a step back and really be able to analyze things and not react. And when you feel yourself not reacting to something as much, it means that you're improving your process. Yeah. And that, that will, that will actually, that's a life skill, you know, to be, you know, whether it's at work, at home with your wife, wherever, being able to, you know, think and, and go through things before you run and jump um, I, it, you know, it, that kind of skill is something that can pay off in life as well. Um, so, um, I, the, I, we talked about some of the things that I don't look for in preseason, but I also think that the narrative I hear on Twitter sometimes about, you know, the preseason, just ignore it all. It's, you know, it's, it's just meaningless. I don't agree with that. I think that, you know, we're constantly, as you said, building a case on a guy. If you think Njoku is a 12th round value because of everything that you've seen to that point, and he's in the 12th round or 13th round, you're going to take him. Um, If you think that two splash plays make him an eighth round tight end all of a sudden, if you don't, then you're going to stop drafting him, like you said. So, um, those are important, but here's the things I said. Even though it's a small sample size, how teams use players 
are important signals and should be considered while not going overboard. In other words, like last night, I thought it was very interesting that the Bengals played Joe Mixon the first series, all three downs. They moved the ball on a third and three. He was still in there. I, I, they had an interception on the second drive. I think Mixon was starting that drive too. Third drive, Gio Bernard came in and did the same thing, played all three downs, got carries up the middle. Um, so I think that kind of stuff, how teams tend to look to use players, you know, it's not definitive at this point, but we're not drafting this week for definitive. If we, You know, we don't have the time to wait. That's a signal that I'm going to say, okay, well, maybe I was a little too uh, – I wasn't on Geo enough this year. Or, or, and it confirms Mixon to me a little bit because of how, you know, if he's going to be catching passes and he was out in the flat and caught a pass and got a touchdown, I don't care about the touchdown, but I do care that when I watched that play, he was split out and he was the first read on the play. So that – kind of things gives you a clue on how players are going to be used would you agree with that Elliot yeah I, I think you want to pay I think usage is more important than results when it comes to the preseason and um, the, the mix and Bernard thing I think is interesting because you know ultimately I think AJ Green is the best weapon on the team I know real hot take there but I think after that Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard might be the next two best guys. You know, Ross is unproven. I don't think Boyd's very good. Eifert's constantly banged off and Croft is a jag. Um, you know, the offensive line should be improved and I expect them both to get out there sometimes at the same time. Some guys Bernard's split in the slot or Mixon out wide and um, you know, I I think that you you see that some of these teams do want to use these guys. At the same time though, like Seattle for example started Chris Carson over uh Rashad Penny. And I understand it's the first preseason game. I Maybe it's my confirmation bias with Rashad Penny, but ultimately I think the draft capital there is going to lead to Penny seeing much more opportunity than Chris Carson does. Um, so it, the, yeah, the see, tough that, part is that. That I'm less interested in, right? Because teams, all, what do teams do all the time? Start the guy who's been there a year on, in the first preseason game. To me, that's meaningless. But when you got two guys established by Mick, like Mixon and Geo, and they show how they kind of like to use them, I think that's a signal a lot more. That, and so I'm agreeing with you. The first, you know, who, who starts the first preseason game is almost meaningless. Yeah, and people react to it, right? And you see Penny now fall in drafts and Carson go high. Um, yeah. So I, I think we're on the same page here. How how teams use guys, not necessarily how they're who played the first nine snaps. I think it's more interesting. Right. But because if if they're going to split Mixon out wide and get him targets and kind of manufacture touches for him in space, I mean that's where he excelled in Oklahoma. He he was a really good receiver. That's one of his strengths coming out of college. Is you know he's very elusive. He's a big guy, and when he gets in the open field, he can use his kind of elite athleticism make a lot of plays. So I thought it was, if you're a Mixon owner or someone who's targeting Mixon, I think it was a really encouraging um, game because of how they showed they might plan to use him, not necessarily the fact that he had a highlight touchdown. Exactly. And those are the types of things I do like to look for in preseason games. Ignore the hype but still be on the lookout for clues because every day we're drafting and we're hoping our clues and our numbers 
are better than the next guy. Um, another one is who plays with the starters and who don't. Again, it's a very small sample size. And, and what I mean by that is not your example is, you know, like if we're hearing a guy is making a move in camp, you know, a young guy, and then he starts a preseason game, that's a signal to me. Um, but um, so that's one and then, as you mentioned, I look for players people are getting overexcited about and not only avoid them, but perhaps look to buy someone else on their team who is going to drop based on the, the overenthusiasm. You just mentioned Penny and Carson. I mean, I've take, I'm not a big Penny guy, but I've, taken, you know, I've been saying all along that you know, Carson and the team, their issues, but at 510 6-2 I don't mind a little penny so look for that guy last last but not least and then we're going to let Elliot do the talking because he uh he's the one who uh really knows the rookies but most importantly consider all this information in the context of the greater things you've been thinking and tracking all along and most importantly, not all teams and coaching staffs are the same. If you're going to do and, you know, look at a team, um, look at the history of the coaching staff. Know their likes and dislikes. All these things can give us slight advantages in best ball. Uh, any last comment on that, Elliot, before we get into the rooks? No, I was going to say the only other thing I think was real actionable was uh, Darnold and Mayfield and I guess even Allen to some extent looking solid um, and understanding that those guys are probably going to see playing time sooner rather than later. I personally think Darnold's going to start week one. There's reports that he may start the Redskins game uh, this Thursday. Um, I I think Allen ends up playing and I think uh, Baker is going to be really tough to keep on the sidelines if he keeps playing like that. And those are things to consider, you know, if you're taking McCown later, you're looking for a third quarterback and you want to take an upside guy, see see if Darnold can do something for you. You know, I think those are the kind of guys that if you buy now thinking they're going to start uh, as as a potential third quarterback if you want to build rosters that way, that right now they're not priced to start. And um, so I, I think those are guys you could buy at this point. Yeah, I think ultimately as long as Tyrod's healthy, he's going to start because Hugh – I don't think Hugh's one of life's great thinkers. If you watch that first uh, if you watch that first episode, um, it was a little heartbreaking, but just the way he handles everything, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure that Hugh is uh, one of life's great thinkers. So I, I think he's going to be very, very concerned and uh, – and wanting to win games to save his job, and he 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 believes that Tyrod's that guy. So that's fair. Um, I think the counterpoint to that would be if they aren't winning games, which is very possible with Tyrod Taylor, and let's say they start one and three, and he feels pressure and his job's on the line, he could easily switch to Baker. Yes, I mean, no. All I'm saying is that I think Tyrod starts week one and has a shot as long as he plays well to play the whole year. Uh, what you just described is when it gets dicey. You know, once Mayfield gets on the field in the regular season, if he plays good, you're not going to be able to take him back out. So when you t- when you pull Tyrod, you got to make sure you're ready to pull him, because if May if Mayfield comes in, you know it's going to be very hard to take a guy like that out. So um, you know, all right. So we already did start with a couple rookies. The, they were the last two I had on my list. 
there really isn't an ADP on Darnold and Baker, uh, but I think that you very accurately talked about um, his uh, his abilities, uh, you know, and chance and and when and when and why you. I sorry, my computer just turned off. Uh, when and why you would uh, take him? Um, let's go to the the top of the draft board. Uh, talk about Saquon Barkley. You know, on one, again, on one hand, so here let's talk signals. On one hand, he had like the prettiest 39-yard run. Everything that you thought you were getting with Barkley, you got there. Um, and then I know he got dinged. He was tired, but the next like seven plays were Jonathan Stewart. Stewart got a touchdown. How much you were, you know, we don't think Stewart's very good, but it certainly looked like he mixed in. Now, is that a signal of concern to you on Barkley um, or not? Not really. I think at a lot a, of times. At ADP. No, I, I think we'll, we'll talk about running back ADP in a second, but with Barkley, I think, you know, anytime you break a 40-yard run and um, you kind of go on that full-on sprint, they they tend to take you out for a play anyway. Even times you see, sometimes you see receivers run go routes and they're out the next player too. Uh, just to kind of be at 100%. Um, and ultimately, I think that Barkley, on that one play, you know, he showed you everything you need to show. Um, he's a running back. You don't – I don't – like, it's, it reminds me a little bit of Zeke when Zeke didn't play to the third game and then, um, you know, look good against Seattle for a quarter and then they didn't play him again. You know, I think you want to protect these running backs, especially with the investment they had in Barkley. So, I fully anticipate Barkley having a workhorse uh, load. I, I think he's going to see a ton of targets, um, you know, like – 80-plus targets on the season, um, 240 carries. You know, I, I think that at ADP with his explosiveness, um, I, I have no problem taking him as, you know, the, the sixth running back off the board or even over Kamara. Like, the, the thing about first-round ADP is typically your your draft position points you to the direction of a couple guys you're going to choose between, right? Right, so absolutely. I want shares of Barkley. I don't necessarily have to be overweight on him. Like, I see people get excited and they have 103 and they take them. I'm not doing that. Um, but I, I think that in that five to eight range, you know, he's he's right there with Brown and Kamara. And, I, I like, I, I kind of want equal exposure to those guys. Yeah, you know, I uh, I own a lot of Nuck. Uh, Hopkins, uh, you know, uh, for a while, it just, like, I, I couldn't see taking Kamara over him or Barkley. And but there were a lot of people who were. So I ended up, you know, it, like you said, first round picks. It's really hard to get ownership because it, it's so tied to the draft position that you get. Um, but I've got 19% Hopkins, 9% Kamara, 7% Barkley. So um, the guys I'd really been passing on for a while were Gordon and Fournette. So um, I know I kind of went off on a tangent there. Sorry about that. Let's move no, on. I, to... I, com- I completely get your point. Whenever we, uh, People always talk about exposure rates on best ball, right? And I think those are more important. The later the draft goes, the more you can control your targets. And Correct. When, that was my when, point. When you're, even, even first and second round, you can throw that in there too, right? Like I could love Michael Thomas in the second round. I think that's a great value. But if I pick, if I get 104, I'm never going to see Michael Thomas, right? So like, the first and second round, and even the third round to some extent, are your exposure rates are often going to be tied to your draft position. Yeah, 
and you and 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 I believe that you don't want even if you get the opportunity you don't want to go too crazy. So I've been passing on Hopkins uh, lately. You know, I took uh, Hunt over him today, and I've clearly got Hopkins over Hunt. It was funny. I heard you on uh, satellite saying that you like taking running backs no matter what. Uh, but I, uh, <clears throat> you know, it, you know, Keenan Allen, I've got 16%. And, um, you know, that's a lot. Like, you know, I, you know, so I'll be sure, you know, so, yeah. I'm I'm talking really crazy today, so I apologize, folks. No, no worries. Um, I think I think your point's pretty valid. With with first round picks, oftentimes they can't win you a league, but they can lose you a league. Because um, all those guys in the first round are set up for awesome opportunity and are crazy talented, right? Um, with with the running back stuff, it's not that necessarily. I even think that let's just say Kareem Hunt outscores Keenan Allen, because I think Keenan Allen, especially in a PPR format, could end up with more overall points. I just think that the wide receiver position in general is so much deeper that I'm in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth round, and I'm getting guys I feel really good about, that I feel like they have really good ceilings. When I get in those rounds for running backs, I feel like I'm just hoping and praying. You know what I mean? There's a lot more uncertainty the later you go. Like Even when you get in the third round in running back drafts now with the Geis injury um, and the McCoy p- potential suspension, you're, 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 you're starting to roll the dice a lot that I feel – much more comfortable with a third-round receiver than I do with a third-round running back. And that's why I kind of lean towards running backs earlier on in drafts. But, again, I kind of want to keep my exposure rates pretty similar. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, um, you know, I, I, I'm i just not a Gordon guy, and I, and I end up regretting it. And, you know, and, again, it's just so hard to change who you are. I um, I don't have a lot of Gordon this year. I, I I'm I'm light on Fournette, um, and I'm light on Odell Beckham because of Barkley and just everything. You know the whole worry that he's not going to get in. But um, that is a very good point. Let's move on to the next situation though. Uh, Rex Burkhead, are you moving? Uh, are you buying on the move to the fifth round, or are you fading? And we'll we'll tie that into the rookie um, Michelle, who is I got at eight ten today in the live draft. Um, take us through your thoughts on Burkhead and Michelle and the situation. Yeah, I got Michelle at nine eight in the draft today. Um, That's insanity. <laughs> which is, yeah, it is. I mean, basically they flip flop, right? I mean. Michelle was the going in the fourth or fifth round, and you you felt like it was a bit of a reach, but he had the potential to be the work, or, you know, get a lot of work in an explosive offense. And you wanted, I wanted some exposure, but I was underweight on him, and I was uh, targeting Burkhead when he was going in the sixth and seventh round. And now they kind of flip. And the interesting thing is, I think it's an overreaction because I think Mich- Michelle's supposed to be good for week one, and they drafted him, and I still anticipate him playing a lot. I don't necessarily think that that much changed. Now, I know Michelle's a bit of a risk with his knee injury. Um, he had to have the fluid drain, and that could easily become a problem. He had the injury, uh, the knee issue coming out of school. But I, I think that I'm kind of glad I got my exposure to Burkhead earlier, and I think right now he's priced a little bit closer to his ceiling because I know he was one of the most efficient running backs in the NFL last year, and I know that they split him out in the slot. I know that he's a good receiver, and I know he's a talented guy. But, you know, he's never proven that he can stay healthy either. And he's never proven nope. that he can handle a workhorse load. And I think that there's a lot of 
you know, expanding his numbers into a full season when he's never proven he can do that either. And there's a really good chance that Sony Michelle has that Deion Lewis role anyway. So I'm, I liked Burkhead before, and now I'm kind of letting him go a lot more because I don't think that the the new – I think people are overreacting to the news again because I think Michelle's going to play a lot this year. Yeah, I agree. I've got 12% Burkhead. I've got – let's see. you got 10% Michelle. And uh, who was the third guy? Oh, I want to talk about Jeremy Hill. So I've, I'm up to 12% on Jeremy Hill. I was on him early, and he looked really good. I, I know that you don't want to go too crazy, but, you know, the Patriots just have a way with these big backs, and you say, oh, he'll be the, thir- you know, the short yardage back. But Blunt, when he played well, turned into a guy they would use on certain series, um, depending on game script, uh, and I, I think your point on Burkhead is very well taken. Your point on Michelle is very well taken. But I think that Jeremy Hill is a, a real wild card who could pay off in that offense. Um, you, am I crazy? No, I, I think the Patriots are interesting. I think one thing that people overreact is that you can't trust Patriots running backs, right? I think that once a player's role is defined, they kind of they, they stick to it. And – you know, White can get involved in the pass game work. And if Michelle and White and Burkhead are all playing, I, there's a chance Burkhead ends up as a goal linebacker. But he'll look good, and he that's kind of – that's what his game is built around. He could end up scoring eight touchdowns this year. He may have, like, 300 rushing yards, but he could score eight touchdowns. And when you get him in the, the last couple rounds, I think it's a value. I think what you want to be careful with is not – gone overboard right because i've seen him start to go in the 14th or 15th round and i think you know that's people overreacting to something and i think you're the one I, that tweeted this out and said that i wish i had more exposure to jeremy hill than my 11 or 12 percent but it well, makes me feel a little bit the, better because no one was drafting him i you know i i forget what the exact tweet was i guess it was more my point was that i had that much hill and that you know, if you have 10% Hill, but he's only been drafted in 20% of leagues, that's a much bigger advantage than normal, you know, having 10%. Because um, if a guy really does well, it, it, it's not a big deal if the guy, you know, gives you three or four good weeks, you know, a touchdown in 30 yards. Um, but I think Hill legitimately could, if if he gets a chance and one of them gets dinged up, I mean – you know, they're in the lead a lot, the Patriots. And if they are, I mean, he if he cannot fumble and can move the chains, he's a guy that could see the, the field. But, um, yeah, I, I think 12% is about the right number. So we're yeah, going to move on. You know, yeah, I, I, I you know, and it's, it's a high upside play. Um, I've been doing the internal math on that one all off season, but we'll see what, how it plays out. Um, the other one that I did a lot of internal math on and did not draft much of is Rashad Penny. I missed him when he was cheap, and I, I wanted to keep right around even weight on him just in case a little under even weight, and that's where I am. Uh, but now the enthusiasm has gone the other way. Give us your interpretation of what you really think is going to be the usage for Penny and Carson this year. 
I think that when you look at it historically, first-round running backs play a lot. I, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, since 2011, other than David Wilson, every first-round running back has averaged over 13 targets and touches a game. And you look at everyone drafted last year, I mean, McCaffrey didn't get a lot of rushes, but he also led the league in targets. I mean, when these teams draft guys, they play them. And Chris Carson is a guy who's played, what, four NFL games, one of which he looked good with a seventh-round pick, and then this offseason the team went out and signed Penny or drafted Penny. And I know Carson's getting hyped, but Schottenheimer's talking about Penny too, saying that he's good in pass protection. I don't believe that one, but that's what Schottenheimer's saying. I don't, I don't, they li- I, uh, he, there was a great uh, picture of him, like, whiffing during the game. Yep. Uh, he dropped his head and completely missed the guys. And I, I think I comment on that, like, this is bad, but it's still improved from what it was in college. Uh, and then – you know, he's – I know his numbers didn't look good, but he actually uh, broke more tackles than Chris Carson did in that, that short time. You know, I wasn't a big penny guy coming out of school, school but whenever whenever someone takes a, a back in the first round, I, I pay attention. And, you know, when he was going – he started going to like 312, and I was like, I'm out. I'm not buying there. But now that he's going the fifth round, sixth round, like that's – he's got league-winning upside. Um, absolutely. I mean, we, we've seen that Seattle team with – Marshawn Lynch, and now he's not Marshawn Lynch, but uh, they were top three in rushes from 2013 to 2015 in both attempts per game and total attempts. And granted, that defense is better; they were winning more games. Um, but this team still has an eight and a half uh, over under number. I think uh, Russ, sorry, uh, Rashad Penny could. Abs- I think he's an absolutely great buy at that price. And ultimately, I think that Chris Carson's not going to do all that much. Yeah, my big fear on that team has been all along that Carson mixes in with Penny. You know, let's say even Penny gets to the, you know, the two-thirds, one-third, but neither of them are playing on third down most likely. So you bring in either um, uh, ProSize or McKissick, and, you know, then you add to the point that you just made about the defense. And I couldn't, you know, I did draft some fourth-round Penny, uh, I'm at six percent recent uh, currently, but um, you know now, like you said, you got to play. You know, it's almost like the stock market where you know if you have a good if you have a good company and it's going through a bad period, that's when you buy it. Um, you know, Penny is a good. You know, got he's a great talent. Long term, he's going to be good. I don't know about this year with the blocking and everything that I mentioned, but. Um, you know, at the end of the fifth, early sixth, like you just said, he's got a chance to win you a league. Uh, another guy who, um, another guy, a rookie who actually played pretty well, um, had a big splash play yesterday was Royce Freeman. He didn't start, uh, Devontae Booker did, but he played more and he certainly played better. Um, he looked quick out there to me, a lot quicker than Booker. Um, what, what's your thoughts on that situation right now? It's funny because they keep listening. It's, it's funny how we have confirmation bias on things, right? So Carson's listed as the starter for the Seahawks. And, you know, Penny looks fine. Obviously, he had that bad pass-blocking rep. Um, and people are like, I'm telling you, Chris, this is, the coaches say Chris Carson. And then the coaches are, keep listing Booker as the starter. He starts ahead of Freeman. Freeman looks better. You know, Freeman's the better player, but everyone's happy to buy 
Freeman, but no one wants to buy Booker. It's, it's interesting how we kind of have some confirmation bias in terms of how people draft those guys. I think that Freeman's going to get the first and second down work, and I think that Booker's going to mix in uh, on some third downs. Because, I mean, last year he actually averaged more yards per target than Jarvis Landry. I think he finished seventh overall in yards per target uh, among running backs. So he's not a bad receiver. But, uh, but I do think that Freeman in the fifth round, sixth round makes a lot of sense. I think that I did a couple drafts today and he popped up in the fourth. I think that's when you're starting to reach. But this this is interesting and I, I know I'm getting a little off topic of rookies when I say this, but the running with with Geis's injury and McCoy's issue, running backs that are going in the fifth round are now jumping into the third. Like Alex Collins is the guy you get in the fifth round all day long. Now he goes mid third. Um the running back position is just shooting up the board. Uh and and, and it's it's kinda Interesting how you, you need As to adjust. It has to it. been all year, right? But it's I feel like in the last couple of weeks, with the oh, addition yeah, of guys and McCoy of stuff, and, and, and yep, yep. Um, oh, I I agree. But so, I'm um, I'm buying Freeman in the fifth round happily. You, you know, I, I I that's one that I'm going to take a mulligan on. I didn't like his college tape that much. Uh, you and I talked about it, and I, I looked again, and I did see certain things, so I started getting worried. Let's see what I've got. I don't have a lot. Uh, I'm, you know, so I'm definitely, I definitely was kicking myself on uh, because Booker's not that good. We all know Booker. I only got three percent Royce Freeman. Um, we all know Booker's not not all that good, uh, but you know, I just I I whiffed that one. Uh, 10% Booker. Um, all right, so uh, enough about me uh, crying in my uh, beer. The next guy I was actually buying a lot this month. I had gone from almost none to 8, 8%. So I was really unhappy that he had that splash play. Carry on, Johnson. Um, you know, in looking at the whole situation, uh, Elliot, uh, and the history of the, the new head coach who came over from the Patriots, I really think that Blunt, LeGarrette Blunt, isn't, you know, I think he, they're going to play him. I think they're going to play him and they're going to run him, and I think that it's going to hurt Carry On. Um, I was a little discouraged by the Blount, you know, Blunt looked good, and you know he's a great mix-in guy, uh, but Carry On sure had that uh, big flash play, and ultimately he's the best back on the team. I loved him in the seventh, eighth round, but now if he goes to the fifth, sixth, um, I, you know, I, I think I'm out. Uh, what's your take on carry on his overall situation? You know, like I talked about Blunt and Abdul still being there. Uh, you know, give us your, your take on that whole situation. I think the carry on Johnson and Rashad Penny are a great example of why doing best balls throughout the course of the year is a good idea. Right, because you're adjusting to different ADPs, and you can get your exposure at the right price. If you do, if you try to do all of them in August, you're kind of basing, basically, you're you're not getting those opportunities to buy and sell on on the dip. So, Carryon Johnson in the eighth and ninth round was one of my is one of my highest owned players. Uh, the last couple of days, I don't, I think I've gotten one or two shares of him in the seventh, but other than that, I've been kind of passing on him. When he when he starts going in the fifth, right by Rashad Penny, I think Penny's got the higher upside. Uh, in terms of Lions, I, I like that team a lot this year. I like the offense. They got Taylor Decker back. They got they drafted Frank Ragno, who's probably the, the best center in the class. They're playing him at guard. You know, they 
they're going to score a lot of points. And I think Johnson's a capable receiver. I, I think uh, coming into the draft, Very I, I, I compared Carryon Johnson to Draymond Green, where he's not necessarily great at anything, but he's basically good at everything. And LeGarrette Blount wasn't very good inside the five-yard line last year. I think Johnson ends up getting a lot of work, and they spell Blunt near the goal line occasionally. And so, and then I think Theo Reddick's going to get some pass game work. But I think with Johnson, I'm, I was really happy to get the exposure. And if people in the league you're in particularly haven't adjusted to it, like if they're not made, they're not adjusting to it, and you can get them in the seventh round, I'm happy to buy them. But when they start taking yeah. them in the fifth, I'm out. Yep, that's what I did. I got a, I got another seventh round share today. I the other uh, suggestion is, if you want better deals in general, do live drafts. I've always, you know, you, you talked a, a second ago about your exposures and uh, and overall, you know, every you got to know what you're good at. The last couple of years, I have not done real well this last month because I think it's because I'm good at picking sleepers. And now everyone has that information because of watching games and injuries. And I think there's a lot less skill to best ball. I think you're just hoping you're getting weaker competition. Uh, but I, I, I really, uh, you know, I agree. You, you need, uh, if you like best ball, why not draft in the beginning? I didn't do it early my first two years. Last year I did it and I had my best year. So, um, I, I, you know, and I can fine tune my, not only my teams, but my overall portfolio because, um, I have the time that Elliot talked about. So I thought that was a really important point that you made Elliot. And, um, you know, I, I might, one of my favorite things is, you know, why, you know, someone says, Todd, why don't you have a lot of exposure on any player? Well, it tends to be because I'm, I was buying him in the 13th round, and then he moved to the 11th round, you know, and the value wasn't there anymore. It just, like you said, the, the dips and valleys really also balances your portfolio, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I think that's how you get a balanced portfolio, right? And that's how you adjust to values. And, like, you know, Jarvis Landry wasn't a guy when I was wanted when he was going in the fourth or fifth round, and then he fell to the – seventh and eighth round occasionally and I got a lot of them and now he's back in the fifth and I have less of them but I have my exposure to him at the right price and I, I think that's really key and I, I just to to jump in on your live drafts you know with these 30 second clocks man people panic they don't know they don't know what they're doing people time out Darius Geis goes um, you know I, I think that I, I found that my teams end up much better on live drafts and if you do agree if you the more live drafts you do, I, the more that was my bigger point that I forgot. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, like I, I think that live drafts, if you if you've got the time to d- sit down and do them, I think you'll find yourself getting a lot more edge. You get a lot more people jumping in, who you know they're excited that their their actual drafts coming up next week, and they just they want to they want to do a couple, and they're drafting like it's redraft or they're. Uh, you know they're they're taking guys at random spots, and it's it's really easy to adjust to. And the more you do, the better you get at it. So I, I think that your point about doing live drafts over eight hour drafts is uh, it gives you a lot of advantage. Yeah. So between not being real good this time of year, the last couple of years, I'm down to you know I normally I was doing about fifteen before I got my new job. I cut it to ten. 
Now I'm only in seven drafts. But yesterday I did three live ones. I did one live one today. I just feel my teams are better. And um, when this podcast is over, I might do another live draft. So um, if you want to jump in there with me, I might be in there right afterwards. So um, the next situation we want to get Elliot's thoughts on, you've been on Ronald Jones, correct? So this is this, <laughs> this is funny because I didn't love him as a prospect. I had a lot of questions about I know you his, did. I had a lot of questions about his third down ability. I talked about he's never caught more than 15 passes, including high school. I don't think that's an area that he's going to succeed at. I think he's kind of a home run guy who's shifty. Um, but I also thought the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is about as good of a landing spot as you could get. So I was drafting more Ronald Jones, the landing spot, than Ronald Jones, the player. Yep, and I – I, I I was worried, and you got a, co- a head coach who's very conservative. But, see, I didn't go that next step. I kept looking at Peyton Barber but not drafting a lot of Peyton Barber. Um, and, you know, hindsight, I wish I had more. You know, I'm good on not having much Ronald Jones, but I've got, you know, I wish I had more Peyton Barber because I do like him. Um, you know, and that's one of those situations where if you did look at his tape, like Elliot does, you know, one of the best out there, I've started doing it. And I, I just saw a prospect who, you know, had that one trait that people fall in love with, his speed. And just, I mean, because when it happens, it's just electric. But the rest of his game was kind of immature to me. Um, is that kind of what you're saying, Elliot? Yeah, so, again, I, I really like this spot because I think Peyton Barber's, like, he's a jag. You know, I I, I love Peyton Barber's story. Oh, he's a buck. If, yeah, but, like, if, if if you actually don't know Peyton Barber's story and why he went to the NFL early, that's something you should look up. It's, it's, it's pretty motivational. And, like, he's a guy I root for. But – so let, let me put it this way. With Ronald Jones, when he started going the fourth, fifth round, I had – didn't have much unless it was late five. Now he goes to sixth, seventh at times because people are nervous. I'm buying because of the draft capital spent, and I think he can be a good first and second down back. And I think he'll get about 40 targets on the season. Um, with Peyton Barber, he was a guy I was getting a lot 15th, 16th. I have like uh, six shares at, of him in like the 17th and 18th round, and I was happy to buy there. You know, I w- wouldn't want them on the same team, but it was kind of my hedge. But now that Barber goes. I've seen him creep up in the 11th or 12th. That's that's a little bit rich for me because I still think ultimately that Ronald Jones sees the majority of the touches there. But I do think the pass the pass catching concerns with with Jones are very legitimate. I basically look him look at him, you know, a little bit similar to Jai. Honestly, now I, I, they're they're different runners in terms of their game style, but in turn. You know, like Jones is more kind of going to try to run by you and make you miss, and Ajayi's going to lower his shoulder. But they both really struggle in the pass catching game, and they both they'll both have some weeks where they go for thirty, forty yards, and they'll have a couple monstrous games. Um, and Ajayi's going in the fourth round. Obviously, the Eagles' offense is better than the Bucks, and Jones goes in the sixth or seventh. And I'm kind of willing to bet that Jones and Ajayi have pretty similar production competing with other guys because Clement's going to compete with Ajayi. Uh, Sproles is going to come in on third downs. You know, I, I think that Ronald Jones is a decent going in the sixth or seventh round to get that first and second down work and have some big weeks. Yep. 
Um, I, I'm not there on that one with you, but, um, you know, in a couple of weeks we're going to find out, right? And that's it's getting exciting. So um, the next guy is ha- uh, Naheem Hines. Um, I didn't get to see it yet, but I heard he was just looking terrible. And uh, is that just overreaction? And where does Jordan Wilkins fit into that backfield, do you think? I don't know if it's overreaction because he, I think it is because all off season the talk has been about how good Hines is and how they want to split him out and they want to get him involved. Um, so I'm not going to, you know, it's his first NFL action. He may have been a little bit nervous, like stuff happens. Maybe that's confirmation bias, but I think Hines is a guy that I was buying in the 13th, 14th round. And then when he jumped up into the 10th, 11th, I stopped buying. Okay, I, I keep making these points, but I think it's really important. And I think Matt Kelly's one that said it is you don't, I don't hate players. I hate ADPs. Um, yeah, I think Max is going to come back for the regular season. I think he's ultimately the, the best back on the team. Uh, for some reason, they like Robert Turbin. I don't get that. I know he's suspended. I think Jordan Wilkins is got some skill to his game, but he was the fourth guy on the field. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily want to buy him in the 13th or 14th round. Um, I would rather get Hines for the pass-catching upside. But I, I think with Max' hamstring injury – people are kind of letting him fall to the ninth round, and that's a potential starting running back. So, I'm, honestly, I'll buy Hines when, if I'm in a draft and no one wants him and he falls, or I'll, I'll take Max. Um, but I don't I – don't, I have very, very little Jordan Wilkins. Yeah, I, I don't have a lot either. He's one of those guys who keeps tickling at me. Maybe I take him in an FFPC. But he was staring at me, and this, again, going to uh, – to live drafts. Two of my last four live drafts, which happened last night and today, I got Peyton Barber in the 15th round. Like you you were just saying, you've been seeing him in the 10th, 11th. Again, why I love live drafts. And I got a Jordan Wilkins in the 20th today. And, you know, how do you argue that if you want a sixth running back? So, you know, and if you want to get a little, you know, even if you just want a little bit of him to hedge, um, it's hard to turn him down in the 20th round. So that that was some really good advice from uh, Elliot. Uh, we're we're going to move on to wide receivers and uh, the the man in Carolina, uh, Moore. He is uh, he is looking really good, and I have none of him because I'm not I'm just not a guy who normally drafts wide receivers, uh, rookie wide receivers. But he he looks like he could do something, don't you think? He looks good, but I'm with you. I I might have probably have like three DJ Moore teams across 200 teams. Like I, I have no DJ Moore. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I have less than that. And I don't have any <laughs> Cortland Sutton either because, you know, wow, he looks really good, but he's the maybe part-time third wide receiver on Denver. I mean, with Case Keenum at quarterback, I, I, you know, and I know people think Keenum's going to be good again, but – I'm not. I'm not so. I think he'll be okay, but I don't think you know Keenum's this guy who's going to support a rookie third wide receiver. So I got none of him. I got almost none of Ridley. The only and we talked about this before, and I think you were on the same page. The only wide receiver, rookie wide receiver, I've got any decent ownership of is James Washington, and the reason I do is because of his his abilities. I got 9% James Washington. I feel like his abilities match his uh, landing spot just couldn't be better. 
And a, a lot of the times that I have him, I have him stacked with Ben uh, Roethlisberger. Yeah, no, I, I think. I mean, basically, the way you look at it, right, is that James Washington's going to be playing the Martavis Bryant role. And Martavis right. Bryant saw a ton of go routes. I think his A dot was like 37 on go routes, which is yep. where James Washington dominated yep. uh, in, at Oklahoma State. And Bryant, I think, caught one go route. So you, you got to think that James Washington is going to do year. better than that. And you're getting him really cheap. And, you know, I, I we were on the podcast together, and I really truly believe you avoid rookie wide receivers. It's They always go overdrafted. People get very excited. And I I, I think with DJ Moore, for example, with the the Panthers, you know, it's, it's a run-first offense. Funches is probably going to be the number one receiver throughout the course of the year. Greg Olson's back. They're going to throw a lot of passes. Olson will be the number one, I think, unless he's slowed down. That's fair. I, when I said number one receiver, I, I meant like strictly yeah, yeah, one yeah, receiver. Yeah. Not I, I know what you mean. Sorry. Well, no, no. I, just, that's, I think that's a really good point to make. But Funches will see red zone looks and, um, and so on. And Cam's really never supported two wide receivers at once. So while I think Moore looks good and he could end up being the guy next year, he's a guy I have no problem having no ownership on. Um, I think Calvin Ridley. I think uh, Funches is a guy I had a ton of last year. I thought he was just a great 17, 18th round pick, and it turned out it got a little lucky on that one. But he, you know, he would have paid off that anyway, even without Benjamin. I think. But the uh, but I think you know I, I've been off him. I got like my first share in like forever because he fell mid eighth in a live draft, and I'm like, well. You know, I gotta take a share. I get a chance to take a share. Um, I, 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 I got him at nine nine today. Yeah, I, 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 I can't. I, I got a good bit of Olsen mid to late sixth round because it works good for roster construction, and ultimately, I think he, you know, he has, uh, you know, he's. I think he's gonna be recovered and be a good player. But I agree with you. It's it's hard to see Funches or more. And they got Torrey Smith there, and who who knows who else? It, it's just Curtis Samuel. It's just hard to see him, you know, having the upside as some of these other guys his rookie year. Um, so I know you were moving on to the next guy. Um, which one were you moving on to? Uh, Calvin Ridley. I was going to say I have almost yep, no Calvin Ridley. No. Because again, rookies. And this is a more situation. Actually, I think he's probably third in line, fourth in line for targets on his own team. But th- rookie wide receivers are going to be a third wide receiver option on their team. Don't get me particularly excited when I'm drafted. Like, Moore's a great example where he's going a couple picks behind Kenny Stills. I'm taking Stills over Moore all day long, and no matter and what happens. Anderson. Yeah, exactly. These, and these Robbie guys Anderson's are, right there. Like, I, I just, I just, with Ridley, ultimately, I think. Julio Jones is going to see the most of, most of the team targets. People act like Mohamed Sanu doesn't exist anymore. He's been incredibly consistent for them year after year. Uh, can play in the slot, can play outside. He gets a lot of targets. I actually kind of like targeting him in the 15th or 16th round because everyone he's else is falling. targeting ceiling guys, and he's kind of a weekly floor guy that allows me to target other ceiling guys. You know, because a lot of those ceiling guys will put up 100 yards in a touchdown, or they'll have a bunch of weeks where they put up like one catch for three yards and Sanu's going to get me a consistent, you know, six to 10 without necessarily a lot of spike weeks, but allows me to go for more ceiling guys. But with Ridley, you know, start again, 
third option as a receiver, probably behind Freeman as well, and, and Coleman and Hooper. And like, I just think there's a lot of mouths to feed there. And he, he's, he's, I'm not getting him at a discounted price. Like if Washington jumped in the 12th or 13th round, I'd have none of them. But 17th, 18th round for the, the big play threat in the Steelers offense, which is going to be one of the highest scoring offenses in the NFL, amazing. And then somehow if Brown or Juju go down, then he's you're just I know you're you're, you're playing with money. You, yeah, that that's what we talked about on the last pod. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. We only had a few minutes left. I want to get to the last guy on my list and maybe get a Jets take. Uh, Gasecki, the uh, tight end for the Dolphins. I know you're not a big one for drafting uh, Dolphins, but how comfortable are you with around an 18th round ADP? I'm good with it. Because he's basically a receiver, right? He's more like Evan Ingram than he is yes. um, your your typical tight end. Like he Inline should just play end. in the slot. He should just play the slot, and he should be a red zone guy. And you know, when you're looking at the 18th round, if the guy can fall in the end zone, you're good. And they should throw him some jump balls. And my guess is he could end up with, you know, four touchdowns a season, and that's going to be four weeks that he's playable as an 18th round guy. So I, I'm I'm Gusecki's one of those guys I'm cool with at the end because he's basically just a big wide receiver. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't have a lot. Um, I tend to like to get my third wide receiver before, you know, in that tier before the one that Ben Watson kind of ends and Ricky Seals-Jones ends. Um, I, you know, but Gusecki, Gusecki's somewhere between that tier and the, you know, the Jonu Smith and Everett tier uh, because he is a starter. So, um all right, we got we do have a few more minutes. I, I want to get your advice on uh, the Jets' running back situation. Uh, Crowell has been a good value all along. Bilal Powell had dropped almost undrafted in some drafts because the news that McGuire was going to be the third down back. Uh, but with McGuire's serious injury, Bilal Powell uh, not only played, but he did start over Crowell. Um, I don't know that you can make too much of that uh, but I think people are overreacting to Crowell's big play and are ignoring the fact that Bilal played as much as he did uh, nothing like getting a Jets fan's perspective on this Elliot yeah, and Crowell got a concussion um, so yes, I, did. I'm getting I'm getting pal late I am um, I, I also am not a Crowell guy. I get why you take in the eighth round, but I think ultimately you're taking a, a running back where three guys are going to play. Because McGuire is supposed to be out six weeks. That was two weeks ago. So he's probably going to be back by week two or three. He's going to play the third down role. I don't think Crowell is going to touch a ton of passes. I think the Jets aren't going to win a whole lot of games. I don't think Crowell is going to have a ton of consistent touches. I know that's kind of like a hotter take, but uh, I think Powell is the guy you buy in the 15th round because, you know, he's he's – that's kind of what he does every year. He's kind of in a committee and he always has a few big games. And at the running back position, if you can get a few big games in the 15th, 16th round, you know, I, I think that's, that's good value. So I'm more on Powell than I am on Crowell. Yeah. I own uh, 14 shares of Powell. I've bought in a few recently on the dive. Uh, well, on the McGuire injury. And, and again, this points to, you know, the math. Right, the math is that Powell's ADP should have rose after McGuire went down, but it didn't, and that's why Elliot and I are buying. So those are the kind of situations that Elliot and I have been trying to talk about. I do have 13% Kroll, but I, 
I, I don't love him either. He was a guy that I kind of got talked into. I mean, I, I wanted to stay a little overweight on him, 13 maybe a little more, but I don't think that will hurt me too much. Uh, but I, I think for now, you know, 15th round Powell is a, a really good bargain if you can get him. The last situation I want your thoughts on, and, and it goes back to parsing information, um, I've drafted, you know, I was trying to get more Matt Breida uh, actively the last two weeks. I, I mean, I was a little overweight, but I was hoping to get up to 15%, 16% by the time I was done. And so the news that, you know, everyone got excited about him, his ADP was rising, and then his injury and Kittle's injury, and boom, we're right back to where I don't mind drafting him again. And uh, so I'm excited about that. I got my first Kittle share in about two months uh, in the 11th round. Talk about how people overreact to injuries because, you know, we've heard that on both of them, it's not that serious, and there's a, that would mean to me on shoulder injuries that you have a good chance to start the season, but their ADPs are dropping. Todd, it sounds like you and I have a pretty similar process, <laughs> um, which is <laughs> which is good. But uh, yeah, I, listen, I I got some Brita early, and then I kind of felt like, wow, I'm not getting enough of them, and, <laughs> and then he got he hurt. Guy, he, he yeah, go ahead. But uh, I, I think Chris Raybon is the one that said it, that basically like, he could play a Tevin Coleman role this year. That, and where that, he and McKinnon are that very was valuable. part of it. And, I was already buying again. Then I saw that, and I'm like, I really got to buy more. <laughs> like, I had just but, thought, I, I'm not just saying that. I had just, I had thought of it a couple of days before. And then when you get, you know, you, I don't mind confirmation bias when it's Chris Raybon giving me that bias, that confirmation. Right. Right. I mean, that's a guy that knows what he's doing. And I, and I, but I agree with the take. And I mean, Breed is a guy that looked good last year. He can catch passes and he's a guy that has standalone value where if McKinnon did get hurt, he would have, you know, incredible value. And, but he hurt his shoulder and then they said he's going to be out a few weeks, but he should be ready to go for the regular season. And now he's falling. Now that's he's back in the me. 14th, 15th round. And right I'm, into my and every time he's arms. there, I'm just like, okay, well, Matt Breed is on my team. <laughs> And I think I got it. It reminds yeah, me a little bit of like, Doug Baldwin. Like, Doug we Baldwin know what we're getting in Doug Baldwin. Everybody I, I wanted been, I, Doug Baldwin in the second round. And now he's going in the fourth. And I'm like, okay. I got him a, 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 thir- a 311 and like a 4-5 in the last two weeks. And both times I'm just like, the, the, you know, A, it balances out the shares I had already, right? So my overall ADP, I know that's not as big of a thing, but it does – you know, um, it does balance out my portfolio a bit on Baldwin. And, you know, even if the guy misses a week or two, you know, a fourth-round Doug Baldwin is is a pretty good deal. So, yeah, I mean, it's all these things. And this is the fun part of drafting for me. I'm not, you know, I respect you number guys, and I try and learn as much as I can from you. You know, I want a good roster construction. But this this math, this kind of mental math, is what is so fun for me and trying to figure out situations logically better than other people. It's a way to be really good at best ball. It's not yeah. as good it's not as good for DFS because for me anyway, 
because I'm able to figure out value over the long term. DFS, you have to figure out opportunity in the short term. Yep. That's a very good way to approach it. And honestly, Todd, I'm, I'm, I do a lot of the mental math you, you're talking about, and I think it allows you to really excel in 30-second pick situations. Absolutely. Um, which is what we're talking about. Um, but, yeah, like, and George Kittle, you're talking about, like, I was, I had some George Kittle to start the year. Um, and then he started going, like, you know, in the same range as, like, a Delaney Walker, Evan Ingram, uh, Jordan Reed, Trey Burton. And I was kind of like, I'm out here. This is this is too high for me. And then now he's falling in the 11th round, you know, and I'm kind of like, well, he they said he's going to be fine. He avoided any structural damage, and he's he's going to – he should be good for the regular season. And I'm like, okay. And the way I look at it, maybe this is dumb, but, you know, he's not playing the next three weeks, but he should be good for the regular season. Or let's say he misses a week. There's also no risk that he is out for the whole season. Right? (laughs) That's the way I look at it with Doug Baldwin. There's zero risk he's out for the year. Well, Um, I wouldn't go zero because Pete Carroll, you know, admitting there was something going on is like some other coach saying the guy died. But – um, right, but but I get your point, and 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 the the more important point that you and I are both trying to get across to the listeners is you never want to run against numbers, but numbers are only as good as the the projection and the thought that you put into it. You know, it, like in DFS, the usage is is the key to the projection, right? You know, if you know bad input in, bad input out. I mean, bad info in, bad in, uh, whatever. You get it. I'm not. <laughs> I know where you're going today. with it. Yeah, today is not my day for talking, which is really good for a podcast host. Um, but yeah, this this kind of mental math, I think, if you're not good at it and you like playing a lot of best balls, I think you're going to struggle. I think you know the guys that I talk to on the Best Ball Command Center. And other, you know, really smart guys, they all go through this process, even if they're big numbers guys. Yep, 100%. I, th- I think, you know, the, the way we're breaking everything down, the way you're talking about everything, is the exact right way to approach things. And, listen, if, if your process is right and you're, you're thinking about things the right way, even if you don't necessarily agree with what I'm saying or what Todd's saying, you know, we, we've disagreed on a couple of players that if your process is right over the long term, you should make money and be profitable. So if you can continue to work and improve your process, you should be successful. Yep. And, you know, that's something that I did a lot of last year. It worked really good, and I refined it further this year. Um, I haven't had the time to study like I did last year, but hoping for good results. Elliot, uh, in listening to the guys you've been buying, uh, I think you're going to have a real good best ball year. And uh, did you get into the pros and Joes, too? I'm sure you did, right? Yeah, I was in that this year, and I got guys in the fifth round, 507, Oof. and thought I was killing it. Well, you were. <laughs> you know, but luck, you know, you, you know, that's the thing. You could be, we all know that, you know, and that's the thing that worries me going into the season. Like, I think that I should do pretty well in best ball, that I'm a pretty good best ball guy. But I also know that if you run bad, you know, with injuries and certain things, as much as you hedge, um, you know, it, it's just so nerve-wracking. It's a, it's a little scary with the season starting. I got to be honest. Yeah, no, the I, 
everyone's excited about preseason games, and you know I get it, football's back, but I'm holding my breath a lot of the time. <laughs> All right, folks, that's gonna do it. You can uh, Elliot. Oh, I got, I almost forgot. Elliot, tell us about your new venture. I meant to do it at the top of the show, and, and remind, I've never done uh, a show after having a couple uh, pops. And it was a couple hours ago, but my brain just hasn't been normal. I, I apologize. Tell us about the Quant Edge, how it came about, what's involved. If you're a, a, a DFS player, there's no one, you know, there's a lot of really smart guys, but this this new site is very intriguing. Elliot, tell us about it. Yeah, so uh, the QuantEdge.com, uh, what we try to do is we're trying to bring cut your research time down tremendously. So we're going to have a head-to-head tool where you can compare any two players or uh, that player's defensive matchup. And so if you compare, say, a wide receiver two against the defense, you can see the defensive numbers by wide receiver one, wide receiver two, wide receiver three, broken down by target share, uh, di- different matchup traits, uh, heat maps, where you can see where the defense is most susceptible. You can compare any two players by metric week to week. So if you do have a process where you think, say, snap share is the most important, uh, so instead of looking at fantasy points or certain, um, you know, touches or whatever it is, you can you can compare players by any different metric you want. Snapshare, we have a weighted opportunity scores for everybody, which change based on league uh, uh, scoring rules. So if you want to do FanDuel or DraftKings, you could, your weighted opportunity, which is just basically how valuable touches a target is compared to a touch, can change based on DraftKings or FanDuel or, or standard scoring leagues. Uh, we have wide receiver cornerback matchup tools where you can compare any wide receiver or tight end to a linebacker safety or uh, cornerback by not only by where they line up on the field, but by coverage type. So maybe a team runs a lot of zone and that receiver kills zone or runs a lot of man. That receiver really struggles against man. You can see by route type, maybe a certain corner is susceptible to go routes. And this receiver has, uh, it runs a ton of go routes and you can get a sense of things that way. Uh, An injury tool where you can take any player off the field and see his impact on the team um, by 10 different, uh, statistical categories, whether it's an explosive pass percentage or maybe sack percentage or turnover percentage or, or yards per carry, whatever it is. And then all offensive players, if you take them off the field, you can see how any uh, any of his teammates are impacted. So say if you want to take an offensive lineman off the field like David Bakhtiari, you can see that Aaron Rodgers' A dot drops a, a whole yard. If you want to take Antonio Brown off the field, you can see how every single Steeler offensive player is impacted, whether it's been, you know, Yardage totals, whether it's Juju Smith's uh, target share, whether it's Le'Veon Bell's uh, target share or carries or anything like that. You, you can get all that information in a split second with injuries, which and there's no tool out there like that. And uh, we'll also have an optimizer that's coming soon where you can make up to 150 lineups. We'll have our own projections. You can set exposures, do a lot of awesome stuff. And you know we're, we're, we're also going to have about 20 to 25 pod, podcasts and articles combined a week for – content on draft for betting content for uh dfs on draft and i'm uh, sorry on DraftKings and fanduel so we're providing you with a ton of content and never foreseen tools at an incredibly uh, affordable price where you sign up between uh now and august 15th using the promo code elliot that's e-l-i-o-t you'll get 20 percent off so it'll be only 80 dollars per season when a lot of our competitors will charge up to 70 dollars a month so you know, we, th- we think we're providing you with groundbreaking stuff, a ton of content at a very affordable rate. And uh, if, if you check out the site, I think you'll be pretty confident that it's a good uh, subscription to, to sign and up the for. Po- and the podcast, uh, Elliot, you'll be part of? 
Absolutely. So we have seven podcasts lined up. I think I'm going to be on four or five of them every week. We'll have an ownership podcast. We'll have a main slate breakdown with different guests throughout the industry. We'll have a Monday morning pivot. So if you're big into the uh, primetime slate and you play the Sunday night, how to adjust to what happened on Sunday with your actual lineups, kind of walking you through all that stuff. Uh, we're going to have a draft podcast if you're big on you know, um, the, the play draft format with Brad Reyes, who went, who's made a ton of money uh, on draft. We're going to break down strategies for different, you know, three-mans, five-mans, ten-mans, uh, how to attack the different tournaments, all that stuff. So we're going to have podcasts and written content on basically every way you can play and how to adjust to everything that's going on. And is all that all those podcasts going to be behind the paywall? Uh, the uh, the betting podcast is currently not going to be behind a paywall with uh, Connor Allen and Ryan Noonan. That's going to be on iTunes. But the other stuff we do want to kind of keep exclusive for our subscribers so they feel like they're getting an edge. Well, I think, you know, I think both are good. I just wanted to make sure that the people who came on here to listen to you today uh, know exactly just how much value they're getting because it, the fact those podcasts are behind the paywall it makes it much more valuable. And you can access Elliot's content at the Quant Edge. I recommend it highly. Um, I, I swore I wasn't going to do another, uh, another one this year, but uh, Elliot just pushed me over the edge. I will be going to the Quant Edge. I will be using the code Elliot, and I will be getting all that great information. Elliot, really appreciate you coming on the podcast again. Uh, putting up with me uh, being a little uh, a little spacey today and uh, I really wish you all the best in your new job and I wish you uh, um, you know everything uh, goes well for you this year you're really one of the nicest guys in the industry and I'm just really grateful you did this these podcasts with us this year yeah man this is a blast Todd you're one of my favorite guys to talk best ball with uh, anytime we come on the podcast we start talking guys and you're, you're on my side it makes me feel a little bit better about everything so you know, i think you're one versa. of the best uh, yeah it's, they're they're fun conversations man and i really appreciate you having me on you've been a huge supporter of me the whole way so you know anytime you want me to come back on just reach out and these are a blast and i really appreciate it all right that is gonna do it again for the run to daylight podcast we're probably gonna do one or two more best balls uh before the season's out uh, maybe we'll do kind of uh, one at the end where everyone who has uh, been a part calls in and gives their last thoughts. Who knows? But uh, I just want to tell all of you, you know, how much I appreciate each one of you. Um, I, I hear a lot now that people listen to the pod and, you know, hearing Elliot talk about me as a respected best ball guy. It's been a really really interesting journey the last couple years and i i really appreciate all you listeners um so um you know we got all that information for you i feel like hopefully you feel like you're getting away with something and that's i'm going to actually go out with a song tonight getting away with it by james thanks everyone
that's okay Weren't sure Are you waking for the grave? That's okay 